This spring, if you'd rather spend time enjoying your lawn instead of trying to keep it alive, there's good news. True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow, and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and even some things you might not even think of. They'll do all of it, while you can do literally anything else. With True Green, you could have your lawn looking as good as a putting green. That's not hyperbole. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. True Green offers a satisfaction guarantee, and they have a verified best price promise, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people guaranteed. It's Sunday, August 25th. I'm Margaret Brennan, and this is Face the Nation. As the U.S. trade war with China heats up, President Trump meets with world leaders in France and dismisses concerns of an economic impact back home. Our country is doing really well. We have horrible trade deals, and I'm straightening them out. The biggest one by far is China. But British Prime Minister Boris Johnson told the president, we don't like tariffs. And just to register the faint sheep-like note of uh, our, our view on the, on the trade war, we're in favor of trade peace. President Trump did just the opposite before leaving the U.S. He announced new taxes on Chinese goods in response to their retaliatory tariffs. The stock market plunged. Our guests, White House Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow and Trump ally South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham. I still have a lot of confidence in the economy. I'm anxious because it's unpredictable. It's very volatile. And in a new CBS News poll, Americans share their thoughts on the economy, their finances, and whether President Trump gets the credit. Plus, the race for president shrinks as more Democrats call it quits. Let's get this done and win. Thank you, We'll Nancy. hear from one still holding strong, Minnesota Senator Amy Klobuchar. All that and political analysis of the week, up next on Face the Nation. Good morning and welcome to Face the Nation. Today, we are focusing on the economy, its impact on policy and politics. Throughout our show, you will hear from voters about what it means for them. And we begin this morning with White House National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow. He joins us from Saint-Jean-de-Luz, France. Good morning, Larry. Good morning, Margaret. Thank you. The president was asked this morning if he regretted escalating the trade war with China. Then the White House released a statement saying he meant to say he only regretted not raising tariffs further. Which is it? Are you escalating or de-escalating? No, look, um, actually, it's neither. But he didn't quite hear the question this morning. But his thought was, if he had any second thoughts, and he said sometimes he does, he would have actually raised the tariff, not lower it. But there is no change. A 5% additional tariff uh, on $250 billion and then 5% additional tariff on the second tranche of $300 billion, which, as you recall, goes into place September 1st and then December 15th, because there are a lot of consumer exclusions. He's responding to the Chinese action. And I want to say, in my judgment at least, both actions were very temperate, very restrained. All right, both countries weigh in. President Trump has got to defend the American economy, which he has done. And of course, as you know, our battle 
to stop unfair trading practices from China. More on that if you wish. But he's continued the drumbeat. But I want to make one last point, if I may. The negotiations between the two great countries continue. We had deputies teleconference meeting last week. Another one is coming up this week. And the principals still expect the Chinese team to come to the United States in September. So both countries seem to be protecting their turf here. But the talks and negotiations continue. And I think that's very positive. Do you expect China to retaliate to the tariffs the president put in place on Friday? Uh, I do not. I I think, you know, his was an action to um, respond to their action. So I doubt whether they're going to take another step. Okay. I have not heard their official response yet. Uh, we'll have to wait and see on that. Larry, in the past, you've been very clear that you think tariffs are essentially a, a tax on the American consumer and that it particularly hits low-income families. Uh, how do you tell Americans that this is not going to spiral in a way that hurts them? Well, look, one important point I want to make is The economic burden of these tariffs is falling most heavily on China, probably by a factor of four or five to one. As far as any impact here, I will argue, as I have, uh, it's a very small, minimal impact. The burden of this thing is falling way on China. And let me just add to your other question, the impact for ordinary American families. Look, uh, consumer wages are booming. Consumer spending is booming. Actually, Mm -hmm. the best performing sectors in terms of wage increase, Margaret, uh, blue collar workers, middle income and lower income workers, the bottom 10 percentiles doing the best. And our tax cuts have actually provided at least, I don't know, twenty five hundred three thousand dollars less taxes, lower tax liabilities on ordinary average American families. So the net net is the tax cuts, in my judgment, far outweigh very small harm regarding uh, the tariffs. And look, the president, again, he has got to defend the American economy. Sure, Chinese but, but trading Larry, practices and IP just, theft the, have done great damage to certain sectors of our economy. Which and is president why president is determined which to is, defend it and change it. Which is why so many people support the idea of getting tough with China, but they're worried that you're actually going to damage American businesses. I'm looking at statements from the Retail Industry Leaders Association just on Friday. Mr. President, we implore you to end this trade war before the damage is irreversible. National Retail Federation, it's impossible for businesses to plan for the future. How and where does this end? Larry, this is the business community saying this. China hasn't agreed to any concessions. Where does this end? Well, look, we're in constant touch with all those business groups. And by the way, they're all sort of saying before something really bad happens, which I think is an implication, nothing bad has really happened. I just want to disabuse so much of this recession talk out there. It just ain't so. Right. But businesses, as you know, uh, have to plan for the future. And confidence is a fragile thing. You know that. So businesses are saying they're they're inhibited here. But, But at the same time, truly, thousands and thousands of businesses have implored the president to protect them against China's unfair trading practices and their IP theft and their forced technologies of transfers and their high tariffs. They've implored the president to take action. Look, he's the, he's the first president in our memory, Margaret, 
to go after these Chinese practices, which have done so much damage to the American economy and the rest of the world's economy as well. He has to do it. He is going to continue to do it. Lower trade barriers would do great, mm -hmm. great help to our economy, to everybody, large and small companies. We have our tax cut plan, which gave the retailers and so forth great benefits, gave individuals and small businesses great benefits. And we are looking, as I said earlier last week, um, there's a tax cut 2.0 study going under my uh, under my aegis. We're looking at something. It's not immediate. We're not worried about a recession. As you heard, the president said he was pulling back some because he was concerned it could be passed along to the consumer. Do you, though, uh, based on what the president said again today, do you believe that the president does have the authority to block private businesses from investing in China? Well, look, ultimately, he does have authority. How would There's that work? An emergency economic power authority. Well, it was nearly invoked regarding the Mexican border crisis before the Mexicans came to our rescue, and they've done a great job down at the border. Great job. So, in theory, that law exists. But that's not what the president said. He's asking American companies to take a look, take a fresh look, at, frankly, moving out of China. Going someplace else. That takes preferably years. Preferably coming home to America. It will take years. That is correct. And that's why there's no immediate action here. He just put that out there. Look, I've heard him say this time and time again, a couple of years I've been working here. He said it to individual business. He said it to the big business groups. He's asking them to come home, come back home to America. We're giving you low taxes and low regulations and an entrepreneurial environment. So in a sense, this is nothing new. Maybe the way it was phrased was a little tougher than usual, but we come home, okay. come home to America. This is the best place, the best place to work and live and earn and invest. Okay, so to be clear, the president does not believe he can block private transactions with China. Uh, he is not intending to right now. That is not his intention. But that is still something he's thinking about. You know, I, I don't even want to go down that road. It's like first things first. Let's look straight ahead. All right. Larry Kudlow, always good to talk to you. Thank you, Margaret. Appreciate it. We turn now to the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Committee, South Carolina's senior senator, Lindsey Graham. Senator, good to have you here. Thank you. That was fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to know what you think about what Larry just described there. He said the president does have the authority to block private investment in China. You said the other day you well, don't I don't, think I don't he know does. how the statute works. I think he can levy tariffs on countries that he that that are creating a national security threat to us. Maybe he can, you know, do something about exporting to countries <clears throat> that he believes uh, are a national security danger. I don't know. But if you start getting into that, it's a global economy. The one thing I, I love, Larry Kudlow, it's a global economy. I'm glad American companies are in China doing business because there's a lot of customers. What I don't like is they close off markets to the American business community in China. They require you to have a Chinese business partner when you do business in China and they steal all of your stuff. Every Democrat and every Republican of note has said China cheats. The Democrats for years have been claiming that China should be stood up to. Now Trump is, and we just got to accept the pain that comes with standing up to China. How do you get China to change without creating some pain on them and us? I don't know. How much pain should the people of South Carolina be prepared for? Uh, some. Uh, uh, 
consumer prices on commodities are going to go up. We're now at that part in the trade war where you feel price increases at Walmart. Uh, the president has backed off because he's worried about the Christmas shopping season. I tell you, Mr. President, listen, you got more bullets than they do. They sell us a lot more stuff than we sell them. And the goal is to get them to change their behavior. The Chinese government, the Chinese army, and the Chinese business community are one and the same. They're very mercantile. You don't have these disputes among democracies. But the Chinese Communist Party runs everything in China until they feel the pain they're not going to stop. They need to change their intellectual property theft practices. They need to open up their markets to us. They need to become a reliable trading partner rather than a mercantile system that cheats everybody out of market share. Uh, and they, a lot of people, as you say, support the president in that China hasn't agreed to do those things right. up to this point. Um, and they never will until they pay a heavier price. So you think possibly not until after the election I think in they're trying to wait Trump out. I think they made a calculation that our elections are right around the corner. They can play this game to 2020. Uh, if Trump keeps piling on, I don't know if they can make it that long because the supply chain is beginning to move. The more expensive it creates <clears throat> to produce products in China, the more likely you are to relocate mm-hmm. the supply chain, which would be a death blow to the Chinese economy. That's been happening for, for some time. But do you, because South Carolina has so many auto plants in particular... Steel and aluminum tariffs hurt us a lot. Mm -hmm. But, you know, the steel and aluminum business has a chance of coming back. China produced more steel in one year than the entire world consumed. That's an unfair trade practice. They should be in the WTO as a developed nation, not a developing nation. Everybody. I had a bill with Chuck Schumer seven or eight years ago to label China a currency manipulator Mm -hmm. and to put it. 27.5% 27.5% tariff on every product that benefited from currency manipulation. Bush would never do it. Obama would never do it. Trump did it. So to my Democratic colleagues, he's doing the things you've been calling for all these years. What about the threat of tariffs in this dispute with the EU that could really impact the automakers? I think uh, tariffs are tools. Uh, when you look at the world tariff regime, 67% of all the tariffs in the world disadvantage America. There's a higher tariff on American products in the country in which we do business with. India is the worst. I've introduced a bill that allows the American president to charge the same as the country we're doing business with changes, uh, charges. So like in India, right. they have a 100% tariff on a lot of our products. Either we increase tariffs on Indian products or we all go to zero. The goal is to go to zero. I want to ask you about a report out this week from the Congressional Budget Office. They raised the estimate of the budget deficit to now $1 trillion for 2020. As a Republican, do you still believe deficits matter? Yeah, deficits matter, but they're driven by entitlement spending. I don't believe defense spending is the problem with the deficit. I don't believe discretionary domestic. I don't believe the tax cuts. I think the tax cuts are going to pay for themselves. I believe that. I think an infrastructure bill would probably pay for itself. You'll never get deficits in order and out of debt until you reform Medicare, Social Security, Medicaid. I want to ask you about uh, Afghanistan. I know you have been tracking these Mm -hmm. peace talks that the Trump administration is holding with the Taliban. There were two American service people killed in Afghanistan this week. More than 2,400 Americans have been killed on that battlefield over the past 18 years. Virtually every single Democrat running for president says they're going to bring the troops home. Yeah. That's echoing exactly what President Trump is saying. Why are all of them wrong? Well, I think they're all wrong. I think in one day we lost 3,000 Americans because we took our eye off the ball in Afghanistan. Almost 3,000 Americans died because we ignored Afghanistan. Two Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren, read the intelligence assessment 
by our intelligence community as to what would happen to our homeland if we pulled out of Afghanistan tomorrow. Mr. President, if you don't have a counterterrorism force left behind, even if you got to deal with the Taliban, which I doubt, but you might, they don't have the capability or will to protect the American homeland. Every national security advisor to this president unanimously believes we need a robust counterterrorism force to make sure that ISIS and al-Qaeda do not regenerate in Afghanistan to hit the American homeland. Are you concerned the president's not listening to all of those I'm concerned that the president and his desire to get out is going to make the same mistake that President Obama did in Iraq. I don't want you to be like Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. I want you to take good, sound military advice. Mr. President, lowering the cost of this war is a noble endeavor. We've lost 14 soldiers this year. God bless them all. But they're an insurance policy against another 9-11. They act as a virtual wall against ISIS and al-Qaeda. You may get a peace deal with the Taliban, but you'll never get a peace deal with al-Qaeda or ISIS. They have an intent to strike America. They just don't have the capability yet. If we leave and outsource our national security to the Taliban, that they're going to take care mm-hmm. of al-Qaeda and ISIS, that would be a disastrous decision. And when you're on the stage with Bernie, Elizabeth, or Biden, I wish you'd look them in the eye and say, unlike you, I'm going to listen to my commanders. Unlike you, I'm not going to expose the American homeland to another 9-11 because of politics. What is that number? The number is going to be around 8,600. To go below that, I think, would be really risky. So I'm going to introduce legislation requiring the Secretary of Defense and the Secretary of State to certify to the Congress that to go below 8,600 does not create an additional national security risk of the homeland. ISIS-K, which is the uh, Afghan Mm -hmm. version of ISIS, and al-Qaeda is alive and well. And it's our American soldiers, our intel community, have the capability to protect the homeland. And if you've got to deal with the Taliban, 80% of the people in Afghanistan reject the Taliban. I Mm -hmm. hope it's an honorable deal. Hope we don't throw the women back in the soccer stadiums to be shot and killed for sport. I think you might get the Taliban to the the table, but you'll never get ISIS and al-Qaeda to the table. This is the one-year anniversary of your good friend John McCain's passing. Mm -hmm. His widow, Cindy McCain, has called for acts of civility to try to remember him. Is that possible anymore? Has the rhetoric just gotten so rough and tumble that that's a rough and tumble? It's a rough and tumble America, but America's always been pretty rough and tumble. John was a rough and tumble guy, but he had the ability... To, to stop the fight and get results. What's missing is the desire to get results. I don't care what language you use. I want to produce results. Um, what do I miss most about John McCain? That steady understanding of the world. If he were alive today, he would be saying exactly what I'm saying about Afghanistan. I know we're all tired of being over there. I know it's been costly uh, in blood and treasure, but there is no way to leave Afghanistan, in my view, honorably and safely without having a counterterrorism force with intel capability to protect the American homeland. John McCain never sold false peace. He never sold the illusion of peace. So Cindy McCain uh, has taken over his job for the family. Mm-hmm. Nobody was ever better taken care of in an illness than Cindy provided care to John. She's doing a great job on her own in, in yeah. human trafficking. And to the four boys and the three daughters, uh, they're doing, doing great. They miss their dad. I miss him. But my yeah. job is to carry on and to help this president where I can, and I will. Thank you very much, Thank Senator. You. We'll be right back. Memories make us laugh and cry. And sometimes cringe when we look back at our fashion choices. But in between flashbacks of bowl cuts and dad jeans, our memories are fading, and so is the old media that holds them. 
Hi, I'm Adam Baselogger. And I'm Nick Mako, and we're the founders of Legacy Box. Legacy Box is the easiest and safest way to preserve your family memories. Here's how it works. Fill Legacy Box with your outdated media. We professionally digitize and send them back on DVDs, thumb drive, or the cloud. Look, those forgotten home movies, VHS tapes, film reels, and photos are degrading right before your eyes. Experience peace of mind and enjoy reliving the glory days. Join more than half a million families who have already trusted Legacy Box. Save your memories today. Visit LegacyBox.com save. And for a limited time, get 40% off your order. That's LegacyBox.com save for 40% off. LegacyBox.com save. I'm concerned about a recession because I think the debt and the tariffs are eventually going to catch up. I think that's a buzzword, recession. First it was Russia, then it was racism, now it's recession. Those were two voters our CBS News campaign reporters spoke to this week. Here to unpack more about how Americans feel they're faring in the Trump economy is CBS News Director of Elections and Surveys, Anthony Salvanto. He has fresh numbers from a new CBS News poll. Anthony, good to see you here. Thanks. How are Americans feeling after this week? Well, optimism still outweighs pessimism, certainly in people's personal finances, they tell us, but also for the economy as a whole. But then we ask people, okay, specifically, what do you think it is that you can be optimistic or pessimistic about? Because, look, there's so many ways you can measure the economy. Well, the number one thing they told us was the job market. They think that that's in good shape. That gave them reason for optimism. More mixed was when they looked at the stock market. That's a more close balance of optimism and pessimism. Well, about half of Americans own stock. Exactly. So not everybody is affected by it. And in fact, it's only about 13 percent of people that tell us that the stock market affects them a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, the president often uses that as a measure for the economy. Important to remember that's not always coming through to the kitchen table for everybody. And then on trade policy and on world affairs, both of those things, people tell us they look out and they see more reason for pessimism. So there is a little bit of that mix of pessimism and uncertainty still out there. So on pessimism, are people saying on the trade war that they support what President Trump is doing? Ah, well, a majority of Americans feels that the American consumer will end up paying for these tariffs. And the president gets lower marks on handling trade policy with China than he does for handling the economy overall. But we also talk to people who are specifically involved in agriculture and jobs related to it, and they're more mixed on the help and hurt balance for what this will do. You know, it's interesting. We also asked, is this something that you think you believe will work or something that you hope will work? And that's really split, too. So I think it underpins this idea that there's a sense people want something done, although maybe not necessarily specifically this. What happens at the kitchen table? What are the pocketbook issues that have people concerned? Right. When you look at what people are dealing with on a day-to-day basis, they tell us, you really see a split between the confident and the concerned, which is to say there are people who are confident they can pay their housing, pay their, their daily bills. But then those who are concerned about the same sorts of things, about evenly, Interestingly enough, medical costs and medical bills are the thing that really stood out that people are more concerned about right now. We even talked to about a third of people who told us that they'd passed up seeing a doctor or filling a prescription because of the cost. It's and always health care. It's, it's always, always. health care, and it's always that specific element of cost. Mm-hmm. So that's something that I think going forward we have to watch. So do people hold the president accountable for these concerns, or do they give him- you know, credit. 
Well, the first thing that people want to look at is where they're getting their information about the economy. And that's really different today in this partisan environment. We saw the clip of the woman who was talking about what the media talks about the economy. Mm -hmm. And there is a sizable number of people who feel that the media makes things about the economy sound worse than they really are. But then again, they think... Trust factor. There is the trust factor. But then again, there's the president, and a lot of people think he makes things sound better than they really are. All of which is to say, it depends on where you're getting your information. Now, the president's job handling for the economy is still better than what would effectively be his re-elect number, the number of people who say that they probably or definitely vote for him. And that's about where his approval rating is. So there's that. But then also, when you talk about the economy today, you have to talk about partisanship, which is to say, Republicans say they're better off, but the ones who say they aren't better off are still voting for President Trump. Democrats who say they are better off still say they won't vote for President Trump. So anytime the old measures of, you know, it's the economy, stupid, or are you better off today than you Mm -hmm. were four years ago, those things kind of go out the window more and more today. And it's really that partisan lens through which people view even things that might otherwise be seen as objective numbers. So bottom line, it's not as simple as saying if the economy is booming, the president will be reelected. No, it's not. It's that partisan lens that really dominates today or is a major factor. And that's the thing people should always watch when they talk in the punditry looking forward at this election, that that partisan lens really starts to color how people look at economic numbers, too. Anthony, thank you very much. Thanks. We'll be right back. I used to think that all diet and weight loss plans were the same. Well, not anymore, because I found Noom. Noom is a new and totally different approach to losing weight and getting healthy that uses psychology and small goals to help change your habits. So it's easy to lose the weight and keep it off for good. Noom combines the power of technology with real human support, offering as little or as much help as you want along the way. And since Noom is an app, it's always with you and easy to use which makes it super easy to stay on track and reach your goals. Plus, it's really simple to get started. Just go online, answer a few quick questions, and they'll create a personalized program just for you. Noom helped me lose my old way of thinking about food and dieting. So what do you have to lose? Visit noom.com slash podcast, N-O-O-M dot com slash podcast, and start your 14-day trial today. Like they say, change your habits, change your mind, and change for good with Noom. Welcome back to Face the Nation. We are now joined by Minnesota Senator and 2020 Democratic presidential candidate Amy Klobuchar. She joins us from Boston. Good morning to you, Senator. Good morning, Margaret. You said before on this program that you agree with the premise of challenging China, but you do it with allies and you wouldn't use tariffs. How exactly would you get them to the negotiating table? Well, right now you have complete chaos, Margaret, and you can use tariffs, but not the way this president has been using tariffs. He's been uh, using them like a meat cleaver, or maybe the better word is a tweet cleaver. And when you look at what he's done, uh, just on August 1st, he announced 300 billion goods, more tariffs, 
Uh, then on August 13th, they reversed it. Then on August 20th, they said they were going to do taxes because of the fears of recession. They were going to reduce taxes, um, which, of course, would only add more to the debt that he's created. And then the next day, they reversed that. Uh, and I think one common adage uh, when you deal with the rest of the world and you want to have credibility for our great country is that you keep your promises and you keep your threats. And what he does is he makes these blustering threats, like kicking all of our companies out of China, uh, that people don't think really he's going to follow through on. So what I would do is go back to the negotiating table with our allies, examine these tariffs. Uh, some of them can come off. Uh, some of them could stay on and then make sure that we're using trade enforcement. I had my own experience with this to keep Minnesota iron ore mines open because of Chinese steel dumping. And at the end of the Obama administration, uh, we called for and passed some laws, got more enforcement going, and they opened up again. That is not the careful, targeted approach that this president is doing. And as a result, you've got soybeans sitting in bins in Iowa. Uh, you've got pork down to its uh, lowest export levels in nine years. Uh, this is starting to hurt everyday Americans because of the chaos that he's created. Democrats are running on this message that the economy isn't working for everyone. But in this latest CBS News poll, we see the majority of people say the economy is good and they approve of President Trump's handling of it. Are Democrats out of step? Uh, we're not out of step. And I just know the people that I talk to. Uh, they know the economy is stable and we've come out of the downturn because of the hard work and resilience of our workers and our businesses. But what a true leader does, uh, there's an old Ojibwe saying that a true leader makes decisions not for this generation, but for seven generations from now. This president can't make, keep his decision for seven minutes from now. What a true leader does is says, what are these challenges? What do I see on the horizon? We know that we've got to do something long-term about this debt, and he just keeps adding to it. We know we have to help people afford things, like their pharmaceuticals, um, and he has done nothing. He's made a bunch of promises. I would take them on. It's this whole constellation of things where it's just too expensive for people to participate in this economy. And then the third thing uh, that we need to do is to simply go back to the negotiating table when it comes uh, to the trade war that he's created and then make sure that we're doing something about this debt in the long term. Uh, and that's why I've opposed so many of his policies. Even if you just took these corporate tax giveaways, uh, what he's done uh, in that last tax bill, uh, you could have so much more money to yeah. invest in people's everyday lives and infrastructure. I want to ask you uh, about Afghanistan. As commander in chief, you told The New York Times in your first year, you would no longer have troops in that country. Uh, Senator Lindsey Graham is warning you go to zero. That's reckless. That risks having the country collapse into the hands of terrorists. So how do you balance that? I look at it this way. Uh, we have people that were now are deploying that weren't even born uh, when we got into Afghanistan. So a lot of this is negotiating. Um, you know, this president, because of the chaos that he's created on the foreign stage, makes it so our allies don't always trust him. But that doesn't mean that you don't go back to the negotiating table 
and you try to negotiate, I think you've got to make sure uh, that when you're dealing with the Taliban that you know exactly uh, what they're up to, what's going to happen. You want to make sure a lot of the gains we made with women in government and the democracy gains that we made in Afghanistan stay the same. But yes, I think we need to start bringing our troops home. Does any footprint need to stay? You could always have training footprints and people working um, there, ready to go if there is a, a complete upsurge. But I think that you have to make sure that this country uh, can function on their own. And my concern right now is that if this president just keeps going back and forth on this once again, mm-hmm. they'll never step up. That's what been the past with Afghanistan. We saw three 2020 candidates drop out recently. Uh, Seth Moulton, one of them, told The Times, I think it's evident this is now a three-way race between Biden, Warren and Sanders, and it's a debate about how far left the party should go. Do you feel those same pressures? Uh, No, I don't feel them at all because I've just made the debates for the fall. It's like making the playoffs, uh, and it is a long haul. A number of our presidents that ended up being our presidents were in single digits at this point uh, in the summer, and that's because I have a different kind of campaign. I am running a grassroots campaign. Uh, We have great teams in uh, New Hampshire and in Iowa. Uh, And we're gaining support and endorsements all the time. Lastly, on immigration, the White House said this week that they want to uh, change the floors agreement, which would allow them to detain indefinitely migrant families, but do it to holding them together. Uh, The Obama administration also tried to uh, get out from under the floors agreement. Where do you stand on this? This will end up in court, and my guess is that it'll be thrown out because of the way this administration has handled immigration. Um, But I think the bigger issue here, Margaret, is that if he really wanted to do something about this, he'd pass comprehensive immigration reform, which would be better for our economy instead of using these immigrants as pawn. Senator Klobuchar, thank you. We'll be right back with Josh Bolton of the Business Roundtable. Are you having trouble sleeping? NFL players have been coached. Blue light from smart devices, it can affect your sleep. They'll even wear blue blocker glasses in the evening for improved sleep. Others will try tart cherry juice and smoothies. Not only can it help fight inflammation, but to help you sleep, it's got high amounts of natural melatonin that's beneficial for sleep. The other night, my girlfriend told me I was snoring way too much and even the earplugs weren't helping. So the next day, she took me to the Sleep Number store because if I was snoring, at least she could get a good night's sleep on a Sleep Number bed. Sleep Number beds allow you to adjust on each side to your ideal firmness, comfort, and support. The Sleep Number 360 smart bed senses your movement and automatically adjusts to keep you sleeping comfortably through the night. With Sleep IQ technology inside the bed, it tracks how you're sleeping so you can know every morning how well you've slept and gain insights for your best sleep. Experience the smart, effortless comfort of the Sleep Number 360 smart bed. Find your competitive edge with proven quality sleep from $999. Sleep Number is the official sleep and wellness partner of the NFL. You'll only find Sleep Number at one of their 575 Sleep Number stores nationwide. Find the one nearest you at sleepnumber.com slash cadence. That's sleepnumber.com slash C-A-D-E-N-C-E. Sleep Number. We're now joined by Joshua Bolton. He is the president and CEO of the Business Roundtable, a lobbying group that represents nearly 200 of the world's largest companies. Many here in Washington also remember him as former White House Chief of Staff to George W. Bush. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. 
So you just heard the president's uh, economic advisor, Larry Kudlow, say that the president does have the authority, though he's not using it right now, to essentially stop private investment in China. What do corporations think when they hear that? Uh, they get worried. Um, with that, it, you know, we don't need to go into the details of what authorities the president has, but he, he has a lot of authority uh, through the national security statutes to disrupt trade and commerce in a way that would cause huge damage, not just to the Chinese economy, but to the global economy and the U.S. economy. So uh, American CEOs are concerned about the escalating tit-for-tat trade war with China. And you saw some of that reflected in that sell-off that we saw in the financial markets on Friday and some concern about what's going to be happening uh, in the global economy. We're hearing from American companies that they're worried about investing because they just don't know what's around the corner. Um, And the White House is saying, trust us on this. Is that enough to invest on? How do corporations plan around that? No, they can't. They can't plan around that. I mean, look, it's a it's a difficult situation because uh, the CEOs of the business roundtable have been very supportive of a lot of the objectives that the administration has been pursuing in their negotiation with the Chinese. There need to be structural reforms to get rid of intellectual property theft, to open their markets to more investment, to open their markets to more U.S. products, to stop forced technology transfer, to stop uh, subsidies to to targeted industries. Um, And all of those things are very important to have happen. But uh, if if this trade war spirals out of control, the damage is huge. I, I have a lot of respect for Larry Kudlow. Um, but he's just not reflecting the views of American business when he says this is all fine. A lot of American businesses now have their foot poised above, uh, right on top of the brake. And they're tapping the brake periodically. What we saw on Friday with the stock market was the markets tapping the brake lightly. Um, but if this spirals out of control, the risk is that everybody's going to slam on the brake, and that would be a disaster, not just for the Chinese, but for the United States and as what well. And what, what is that tipping point? Uh, we don't know where the tipping point is, but, uh, uh, but the, the current situation is, is sounding uh, very risky. Here's, here's what was most concerning about the president's tweet yesterday, which was he's, he's clearly trying to ratchet up the pressure on the Chinese to make the kinds of accommodations we want in the trade negotiations. Business community supports that. Um, but the president's tweet also implied that he thinks it would be either benign or maybe even helpful for the United States to decouple completely from the Chinese economy. That would be a disaster not just for the Chinese, for the global economy, and for the United States. This is the world's second largest economy. And the world's business. second largest economy and the biggest market for, for U.S. and everybody else's products and a gateway to the rest of Asia for U.S. exporters. So it is, it is not benign and certainly not helpful to contemplate a complete decoupling from the Chinese. We need to resolve the trade situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and until we do... American business's foot is going to be poised over the brake pedal, uh, tapping it periodically and hopefully not slamming on the brakes. You you hear support for the premise, not for the tactics from a lot of Republicans. But uh, you also hear, though, a a response in some ways that 
this is a necessary amount of pain. Um, you also hear out there on the campaign trail a lot of complaints, particularly from Democratic candidates, that corporations have been essentially getting the best of American workers for years. President Trump, when he campaigned, essentially said the same thing. Um, this week, your organization made a change, saying that your sort of premise for the responsibility of corporations is not first to profits and shareholders, but essentially to their employees. Is this a response to these political pressures? Uh, no, it's not a response to the political pressures, but it's it's a recognition of 182 of our CEOs of some of them America's biggest companies that it's the right thing to do. You know, for uh, Margaret, for 20 years, the the business roundtable has had a policy statement that said the principal purpose of a corporation is to benefit its shareholders. And what the, uh, those 182 CEOs of the roundtable did this past week uh, is issued a statement withdrawing that previous policy statement and saying, no, the purpose of a corporation is to serve all of its stakeholders, its customers, mm -hmm. its employees, its communities, and its shareholders. And that means higher wages. That means it, it does in more some, benefits. Absolutely does in some cases. Many, many of our companies have already raised their, uh, their minimum wages. And uh, for the first time, the Business Roundtable supports an increase in the minimum wage. But it means taking care of all of your stakeholders because in the very long run, you can't take care of your shareholders unless you've taken care of your customers, employees, and communities as well. Uh, as a Republican, as someone who ran the OMB, do you believe still that deficits matter when you see numbers like you saw this week? Yeah, deficits absolutely matter. Now, they, they have not so far mattered as much as most economists or budget directors would have predicted, uh, but they definitely do matter. Um, but I, I agree with, with Senator Graham when he says that the way to attack this problem uh, is to go after the real drivers of the unsustainable costs in our budget, mm -hmm. uh, which is our entitlement programs. You, you cannot balance this budget by shrinking the economy with higher taxes, mm -hmm. um, and you cannot balance the budget by uh, focusing just on the discretionary spending, which is right. really the, a relatively small part of the problem. Josh Bolton, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We'll be back in a moment. What's your next adventure? Everyone deserves a chance to do what they love. Pacific Life helps you reach financial goals while you go after your personal ones. Plans change over time and your financial solutions can too. Pacific Life has a variety of financial solutions that can help you complement your life goals and passions while managing the uncertainties. Backed by more than 150 years of experience, you can count on Pacific Life to be there so you can go out and keep living your best life. Pacific Life is one of the most dependable and experienced insurers in the industry and has been named one of the 2019 world's most ethical companies by the Ethisphere Institute. The freedom to go after whatever is next for you, that's the power of Pacific. Ask a financial professional about how Pacific Life can help give you the freedom to do what you love or visit www.pacificlife.com. How are things going for you financially? They could be better. Yeah, <laughs> they could be better. Everybody I know is working. It seems pretty easy to get a job. I have some issues with President Trump's uh, approach on trade. I don't think tariffs work. I'm, I'm so upset by the fact that we're losing ground. 
And our allies don't even like us. Nobody likes us. And you know what? I get it. I totally get it. For some political analysis, we turn now to our panel. Michael Graham is politics editor at Inside Sources and also a contributor on our digital network, CBSN. Joshua Johnson is the host of NPR's 1A. And Ann Guerin is a White House correspondent for The Washington Post. Good to have you all here. And does the White House have a clear message to calm the concerns? No. And we saw that uh, play out in in dramatic fashion all week, uh, where Trump would say one thing in the morning, something else in the afternoon. And then by seven o'clock, we had three aides on the driveway or on on television uh, cleaning it up. It has continued uh, in, uh, in in France, where he appeared today to say he had second thoughts about uh, the, the tariff war uh, with China, only to have uh, aides go out and say that isn't what he meant at all. Um, so, no, no, there's no clear message. <laughs> But when you look at the polling that we're seeing here, Michael, it says the majority of Americans do think things are going okay with the economy. And I think Larry Kudlow tried to make the case that if you look at the economy broadly, still doing well, uh, the polling you you had from CBS News shows that it's still there. My question is, uh, what does a, uh, a successful economy do to voter behavior? If you really believe that the economy is so good that it can survive the craziness of Trump, then it's so good it can survive no Trump. And it frees voters who don't like Trump but really like the economy, that 53 percent, to say, you know what? I don't have to take the craziness. This economy is so strong, I can afford to vote against my economic uh, means. And and you're absolutely right. The era of it's the economy stupid is over. Joshua, 45 percent of those polled say they definitely probably vote for Trump. So uh, as you were just laying out there, a strong economy, it's not decisive in the way it used to be. Is the bottom line just people can't see beyond their party anymore? I don't know if it's that. I think also if you look at that poll, if you combine the people who say they will and the people who say they won't, and then the people who say they won't vote within the margin of error, it could go either way. That's what I take from the poll. I don't know that we know what to make of the economy yet. There are all these different indicators that Larry Kudlow throws out. He did it this week. He did it last week in another Sunday morning interview. So there's all of this kind of like there's all these facts and figures flying around. Then you have your own personal fortune. You think, well, I can still pay my bills. I can still gas the car up. I'm still going to work. My paycheck hasn't dropped. My health insurance hasn't gotten that much more expensive. Maybe I'm okay. Then you've got all these other economic things going on around the world. You've got Britain now dealing with Brexit. Prime Minister Boris Johnson told the BBC this morning that the that it's looking touch and go in terms of having a deal and that now the ball is in the EU's court and the main thing is to prepare for a no-deal Brexit so the world is more complicated. Then you've got President Xi, who's not thinking about the end of his administration. He's thinking about the end of his life. Mm -hmm. Xi Jinping will be the president of China until the day he dies. And in the middle, you have Americans who are trying to figure out who am I going to vote for either in the primaries or in the general. I am... I think it's going to come down to when people start canceling their Netflix subscriptions. I mean, when it when it comes down to the, to the creature comforts that we have, mm-hmm. to feeling that day-to-day life has changed, we're not there yet. So I totally understand why people are kind of, well, maybe I like the economy. I'm not sure I like the fact that he tweets so much, but everything seems to be okay. We can't know yet. There's too mm-hmm. much going on and nothing rises to the top. And the other uncertainty is just what's happening in the world. We saw some breaking headlines that Iran's top diplomat, Javad Zarif, has made the surprise visit to the G7. What is he there for? Is he meeting with President Trump? 
We don't know the answer to that. Uh, it appears that one of two things is, is happening. Either uh, the French president who's hosting this meeting, Emmanuel Macron, uh, has some kind of side uh, plan for Zarif to speak uh, with, with other diplomats there. Uh, or this may or may not in, in, include Trump, and it may, and which brings up the other possibility, which is that if it, if those Advance, if that advance planning does not include Trump, and we had not heard a word about it until an hour ago, that means that Macron is sandbagging Trump. Um, and so stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> stay tuned. We'll see, to quote the president, as he said. But this uncertainty, does, is there a political cost to the geopolitical, to the economic, to the financial un- uncertainty? Obviously, it affects you know, the world. And I think you know, it's fascinating. Do you know who the most popular back home at the G7 summit leaders is? Anyone? Well, no, it's not Trump. That was the trick question. It's actually Shinzo Abe, but Trump is number two. He's the second most popular person at home, not because he's obviously popular, but because things, people are so unpopular. There's so much turmoil and change going on at home. Imagine what it does to the global economy if there's a hard out of Brexit. I mean, I, we, we don't even know what that is going to look like. And I think Trump's theory is turmoil helps me. I'm the candidate of turmoil. More turmoil. That's my team, and I, you know, that that energizes my people, and that's why he's more popular with the leaders of Warsaw, of Poland, and Romania than he is with England and France. Although we should be careful, and I hear what you're saying, but I think for the voters who put Donald Trump in office, what some would call turmoil, they would call a shakeup. I mean, this is why Donald Trump got elected, is because there were millions of Americans who said, you don't see me? Fine. I'm going to punch you in the throat and make you pay attention, and I'm going to elect somebody who's going to do it for me for four years. So the voters who are getting what they want now, even those who see their economic fortune shaky but still believe in Donald Trump's vision for the country, Mm there is a risk, I think, politically for Democrats and even for some Republicans. We heard Joe Walsh is now going to run for the Republican nomination this year. Telling those voters, you know what, now we need to fix this. We need to put the right person in office. You're really going to tell tens of millions of Americans that I'm what's wrong with the country because I put the wrong president in, in office and he's doing what I want him to do just because you don't like him in the media and the press and inside the beltway. Are you supposed to make me feel like I'm the problem now? I- I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing when the American people start to feel what's going on. And how that plays out with the voters who put Donald Trump in office and whether any other candidate can pull them over without shaming them Mm -hmm. for what they've put the country through and for what they've sent the country into. I'm not sure anyone's ready to do that yet. And uh, the president, though, is feeling some pressure. He's been tweeting and talking uh, at length about what's happening with China, and he's blaming the Fed chair for a good part of it. He, he blames China. He blames the Fed chair. He blames, he blames Germany. Uh, and he blames the media uh, for, for, for misinterpreting him. Sometimes that order gets mixed <laughs> up, but those are, those are the main uh, scapegoats. He clearly is feeling pressure. Uh, I, I think all indications are, are, and our reporting shows, that he does firmly believe in the power of tariffs uh, and thinks that he can wait out China. The problem is that China thinks that China can wait out, wait out Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, the U.S. economy is larger and stronger. Yes, uh, Trump has a lot of cards that he can play, uh, but he doesn't have a command economy uh, the, the way China does. He doesn't have uh, the, the state control that, that China does where they could just demand mm-hmm. that they wait him out. We will stay tuned. Thanks to all of you for joining us. 
That's it for us today. Thank you all for watching. Until next week, for Face the Nation, I'm Margaret Brennan. Today's guests were National Economic Council Director Larry Kudlow, Judiciary Committee Chairman and South Carolina Senator Lindsey Graham, Minnesota Senator and 2020 Democratic Presidential Candidate Amy Klobuchar, and President and CEO of Business Roundtable Josh Bolton. The executive producer of Face the Nation is Mary Hager. This broadcast was directed by Allison Hawley. Face the Nation originates from CBS News in Washington. For more Face the Nation, we're online at facethenation.com, and you can follow Face the Nation and CBS Radio News on Twitter and Instagram. Face the Nation is also rebroadcast on our digital network, CBSN, at 11 a.m., 3 p.m., and 6 p.m. Eastern every Sunday. If you like Face the Nation with Margaret Brennan, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com survey. The Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on Wondery Plus. It was the biggest scandal in pop music. The stars of Milli Vanilli, the Grammy-winning multi-platinum R&B phenomenon, were exposed as frauds. But none of this was their idea. So whose idea was it? Enter German music producer Frank Varian. He saw the success of acts like Michael Jackson and Prince, and he wanted in, no matter the cost. So he devised the perfect pop heist. Two once-in-a-lifetime talents who were charismatic, full of sex appeal, and phenomenal dancers. The only problem? They couldn't sing. But Frank knew just how to fix that. Wondery's new podcast, Blame It on the Fame, dives into one of pop music's greatest controversies and takes a never-before-heard look at the exploitation of two young Black artists. Millie Vanilli set the world on fire, but when the truth came out, Rob and Fab were the only ones who got burned. Looking back now, it's hard not to wonder, why did everyone blame them and not the man pulling the strings? Follow Blame It on the Fame, Millie Vanilli, on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of Blame It on the Fame early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus.